yesterday, Reese came to me. He was in the, in the woods, and he fell, tripped over something, and he put his hand right on a honey locust thorn. And I don't know if you've ever seen a honey locust thorn, but, I mean, they're, you know, some people call them Jesus thorns because they look like the crown of thorns, you know. And, I mean, they're, they're big, and, and it went in, like, all the way into his hand. And I've, ha- I've had it happen a lot, and it's really not as bad as it looks. London was freaking out, and they were in the woods together, and so he came flying in and, you know, ah, you know, scream emergency. London, Dad, 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 Reese's hand is going to fall off. You know, I mean, it's like drama everywhere. And he's telling me, he's telling me, and, and she, he said, you know, I, I got to get it out. I got to get it out. I got to get it out. I said, we'll get it out. I said, London said, I tried to take it out, but he screamed and he screamed and he screamed and he wouldn't let me touch it. And I was trying to take it out real slow and it was just hurting worse. And Reese said, quit touching it, London, quit touching it. And so there, I mean, it looks like a scene from ER in our house, you know. One little thorn in his hand and it is freak out time. And so I said, now, buddy, tell me what happened again. And I knew I didn't care what happened. I knew what I wanted to do was to get his mind right. Wanted to get his mind on something else so that I could reach in, and if you've ever had this happen, you know what you need to do. Just rip it out. You don't pull it out slow. You don't make it. You just get it out, you know. So I knew if I told him I was going to do that, he'd freak out. So I said, now tell me what happened. Take a deep breath, and I said, close your eyes and tell me what happened. He goes, (laughs) you know that. Okay, so I, I just pulled it out. And he went, what? Oh. All right, well, I'll see you later, Dad. <laughs> and they were right back out in the woods again, you know. And I, I don't know, I, I think this is a good picture for us today. That we come in with this, like, complete loss of perspective on our life. So, ah, my bills are due. Ah, my relationships are broken. Ah, my arm's falling off. Whatever it is, we come in, and I'm not trying to make light of your situation today, because it is broken in a lot of cases, and we are hurt in a lot of cases. But the truth is, what God wants to do is give you some perspective. He just wants you to get a moment of perspective on your life. And if, if you're not, if you give him that today, if you give him that deep breath, you might be surprised how the thorns, you just walk away and all of a sudden they start to go away a little bit and you get some better perspective on them. So whatever thorns you brought in here today, I'm going to give you a chance just to whew, take a deep breath, get right with God, and um, we'll dig in together. So about a minute and a half here of just being quiet. If you're listening online, don't close your eyes, but be quiet um, if you're driving. And um, then we'll pray together. God, thanks for the way you love us. Thanks for being the one in charge. Thanks for not just spinning the world and watching it, but wanting to be a part of every decision, of every moment that we have. God, all of us in this room have fallen prey to that thing where we take charge of our life until things go bad, and then we ask you to take charge. Would you give us some perspective on our life today so that we can... We can live outside of this building with, with you in the middle of our lives and leading us. Would you speak into our hearts and into our lives? And those who are in the room or those who are listening online who are still kicking the tires, still trying to figure out what's real, what's true, would you give them a deep breath that it's okay? 
that if they keep digging, they'll find truth. Would you lead us there today in your son's name? Amen. Well, we're in this end of this series called Starting Point. Um, if you've missed any of these sermons, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to them. They're all on our website. You can find that um, in the bulletin. Um, if you're here on site, if you're listening online, it's newlifeparagoncc.com-ish, something like that. You could also Google New Life Paragon, um, and uh, it'll pop right up. But um, feel free to go out there, listen to those. Really would love for you to hear this whole series as we get going on our year. As we close today, I want to do something today that I do periodically, and if you're visiting with us, I want to let you know it's not always like what I'm going to do today, okay? And, and if you're not visiting with us um, and you're, you're regular, this is going to be a little different than what I normally do. I, we're going to do a little history lesson today, and I, don't get too bored. Don't, don't go to sleep on me yet because it's really interesting and it applies to your life, I promise. But I, I don't do this very often, but I feel like I, I want to give you some perspective that you may not have on what you're doing here and on what we're doing at the church today, and kind of how it fits throughout history. So as, we, as we've gone through this series, we've realized that everything has a starting point. Um, and we've talked about the different kinds of starting points in our lives um, for all different kinds of things. And all of us have a starting point for our faith. Even if you're just kind of just now coming to this, there is a moment something led you to faith. It, a lot of us, it was our parents. And we, hand, we got kind of handed a faith. And the, the truth is, this is the way I deal with my kids. I don't, I don't go to my kids and tell them, hey, here's a book of world religions. Good luck. Go find one. You know, I don't do that. I say to them, hey, here's what we believe in this house. And then as they get older, this faith is going to become their own. That might have happened to you. That may have been where you are. That's definitely what happened to me. There came a time in my life where I realized my mom and dad's faith is not what God wants me to have. He wants me to have my own faith, and actually, I kind of had to break my old faith before I got my new one, and then later on in my life, I realized that some of that old stuff is starting to come back, and I re- it really is real, but, but I don't know where it is for you, but w- the truth is, if you are still living off the faith that you started with, you're missing out on growing and on next steps, and wherever you find yourself today, however you find yourself kind of kicking the tires with God and trying to figure out what's right and what's next, um, he just wants you to take the next step, and so that's what this whole year here at New Life is going to be about, taking the next step towards what God wants for our lives. Many of us have just realized that it's time for a restart. That we have been living off faith that doesn't work. And this happens when we were a kid. Our parents told us about Noah's Ark. They might have told us about a burning bush and about a flood and about all these different things. And, and that was fine when we were a kid. But when we got older, we realized the bills are coming in and the relationships are broken and things are hard. And that stuff doesn't seem to apply to my life like it did. And so if we're not careful, we segment it. We say, well, this is real life and this is church. And you come to Sunday and you come to church and you pretend that it somehow fits in life. And that's never how God intended. So some of us have decided around here, we need to restart. We need to think about our faith in a new way. And as we've done that, um, we've kind of talked about church in a new way as well. And I'm going to tell you something today that's something you may not know about the origin of what you're doing today. And if you're not a history person, you're going to have to bear with me. I promise you'll find this interesting in a few ways. Um, If you are a history person, you're going to find this fascinating. And especially if you're a Christian, if you're a faith person and you have never dug into the origin of why you're sitting in a pew today, you're going to find this really interesting. And the reason I want to bring this up today is because, honestly, I try not to do this very often too, but I'm kind of doing it unashamedly today. I personally am passionate about the topic today. Like, personally in my life, I have been disillusioned with church. I have been frustrated 
with church. In fact, a lot of you that are close to me know that I, I actually got out of ministry. I thought when I was in eighth grade, I knew I wanted to do ministry, and I learned to be a preacher, and I went to Bible college, and I got out of Bible college, and I went to a church, and it was like, this is not what I want to do. It was religious, and it didn't apply to life, and it seemed a little bit manipulative, and I got out. And now I've come back, and I, I, when I came back about 10 years ago here at New Life, I found something I had never found in ministry before. And I had to take a full-time, there's all our Kids Life Kids. Man, there's a bunch of them today. That is awesome. Thank you, helpers, for helping with our kids today. Thank you, Terry. Um, but as I got older um, and as I got through ministry, I realized that, that the, the church, the way I had been doing it, I wasn't going to waste my time on. I was getting tired of it, I was getting frustrated, and it didn't, it didn't feel right to me. And when I came to New Life here in Paragon, I mean, the truth is, we aren't real organized. We got here this morning, and nobody knew who was going to lead worship, and it ended up the preacher leading worship. I mean, there are some things we're trying to work out administratively and from an organizational perspective, but the truth is, there is something here in this place that feels like what God has intended for this to be to me. And so I want to tell you what I believe that is. I'm hoping that this is one of those sermons that after the end you wrote, wrote down some notes and you go, you know, I don't know about that. I don't exactly know what John said today, but I'm going to go find out more because I need to know this in my life. So I want to kind of tell you where um, sort of the beginning of this started today. And, and again, it's a history lesson, but the nice thing about it is it, this is going to start to ground your faith a little bit because if you're like me, you grew up with flannel gra- graph fl- uh, faith, you know, the big blue board that your Sunday school teacher put on like these felt things that look like Disney characters and it just became this like Disney movie and it wasn't real. And this is going to make it real today. I want to show you this picture to start with. This is a place um, in the world. You can go visit it right now. I have been there. I have put my feet in that dirt right there. Um, This is a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is a place where Jesus walked. In fact, we're going to read a piece of scripture today that that mentions this place and where Jesus was. And this is, in my opinion, this is the beginning of what Jesus wanted to do with you and with the church. He was walking here with his disciples, um, and as they walked into this city, it had just recently been named Caesarea Philippi. There was another name for it, and the name had been changed to Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you, if you look at a map, you'll realize that where Jesus and his disciples spent most of their time was near Jerusalem. This is 150 miles north of Jerusalem. I mean, I had to get in a car, a weird little bus in Israel. Um, it's a Subaru bus. They call it Subaru there, um, which I just loved. And we got in this Subaru bus, and we drove 150 miles north to see Caesarea Philippi. And I just couldn't get out of my mind. If Jesus and his disciples wanted to get from Jerusalem to there, they had to walk 150 stinking miles. I was getting tired driving there. And, and so I want you to get that perspective, that there is a hike involved to this place. And Jesus wanted to speak to these people. Now, that doesn't look like much right there, I know. That's rubble, and that's sort of the decaying um, Caesarea Philippi. But at the time, it was, a, it was a, just an incredible place. It was a city that people would come for miles, walk for miles to find. So Jesus has walked there with his disciples, and no doubt, now the Bible doesn't say this, but no doubt they're just like you and me. This place had just changed names. It had been like if, if Chicago, all of a sudden, somebody decided to change the name of Chicago. And you were there, and it was like, man, why did they change the name of this place? Well, the reason they called it Caesarea Philippi was because it was named after Caesar Augustus. 
Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the time. If, you, if you've been around church or even if you've been around Christmas very long, you know the name Caesar Augustus, Luke chapter 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Caesar Augustus was this inc- just crazy leader that everyone loved. In fact, not everyone loved them. The Roman Empire were scared to death of him, and so he made it, they made it look like they loved him. And as he, when he passed away, when he died, they named this city. They changed the name of the city to Caesarea Philippi in honor of Caesar Augustus. And the, the word is very much connected to Caesarea Philippi. Now, the interesting thing about that, and the interesting thing that sets up what I'm about to tell you that Jesus said here in the beginning of the church, is that at that moment, Caesarea Philippi was actually a representation of the gods. And, you, you know, we've talked a lot about this. At this point in history, th- there were gods everywhere. And the thought that there was just one god made a lot of people really mad. And so when Jesus would say to people, I am the son of God, they would be like, oh, okay, which one? <laughs> You know, and when they, when they got to Caesarea Philippi, no doubt they were talking, and Jesus probably was talking to the disciples, and they probably said, man, it's crazy they named this place after, after Caesar Augustus. And the interesting thing is Caesar Augustus' dad was Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was deified by the culture, which means they had, when he died, they made him a god. They believed he was a god. And um, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. So he was, now hang with me here. Don't, please don't get bored. Hang with me. He was the son, Caesar, Caesar Augustus was the son of a god because Julius Caesar had been deified. So they named a city after him. Now, if you're a Christian person, that sounds familiar to you, doesn't it? In fact, when they talked about Caesar Augustus, they would often say, he's the son of a god. Now, some people called him a son of something else. But many people referred to him as a son of, son of a god. He's the son of God. He's the son of a god. You know Caesar Augustus. You know Caesarea Philippi. Who was that named after? It was named after the son of a god. So Jesus. This is cool, is it not? So Jesus, next slide. I'm the only geek in the room, I know. Matthew chapter 16, 16. When Jesus arrived in the villages of, read that, Caesarea Philippi, a real place, I just showed you a picture. I put my feet in that dirt. This is a real place. When Jesus and his disciples arrived in the village of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Now, I believe they were talking about Julius Caesar and about Caesar Augustus and about the name change of Caesarea Philippi. And he says, hey, you guys, people, a lot of people are talking about who Caesar Augustus was and who Julius Caesar was. What are people saying about me, the son of man? Now, he called himself the Son of Man, and he called himself the Son of God. The idea of the Son of Man is that he was also, like, pure human. He was born of a virgin. He was born of a human person. So he was God, and he was man at the same time, and he referred to himself in both those ways. They replied, the disciples started saying, well, some think you're John the baptizer. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some say that you have risen, and you were one of the prophets from old. And then he pressed them, and he probably stopped, because this is how Jesus was. My guess is, is perfect timing. He's walking right through Caesarea Philippi, right through this place where the son of the God had died. And he says, but how about you? Who do you say that I am? This is a big question. And Simon Peter said, you're the Christ. Now, that sounds like something that 
is churchy. In fact, you're going to hear it today. We have some baptisms, and you're going to hear confession, and this is the confession you're going to hear. And we've heard this so much that we take it for granted. But standing in Caesarea Philippi, Peter looks at Jesus and says, You, not Caesar Augustus, not Julius Caesar, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of what? The living God. Julius Caesar is dead. And Caesar Augustus, who they named this whole city after, is dead. But our God is living. And you're the son of that God. Anyone standing around would have thought this is blasphemy. Do you see the history here? This is huge. This is so much bigger than a confession of faith that we do now. This is people saying, I am spitting in the face of a culture who has named the wrong God. Next slide. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't get this out of your own head, but by your Father in heaven. God gave this to you. Verse 18, and I tell you, now, what you're about to read right here, I believe, is one of the most amazing predictions in all of history. You've read Nostradamus, you've heard about predictions, you've heard even about the prophets of old and how things have come. This is one of the most amazing prophecies in, the, in history. Jesus looks at his disciples and he predicts what you're doing right now. He says, I tell you, Simon Peter, you are Peter. What's, what's interesting about all this, this is a whole other sermon, but Jesus uses a couple words here to talk to Peter. The first word is pebble, and you've heard me talk about that before, that, that Peter's name really kind of means little rock, and it's a little offensive, and people call him that, and he's like, oh, little Peter, you know, little rock, ah. Uh. And Jesus says, you are little rock. But because you made that confession, God is going to make you bigger. And on this boulder, I will build my, read it, it's in yellow, church. Now, can you imagine what that would feel like to these disciples? For them to stand knowing they're outlaws, knowing that there's just a little group of these guys. And he says, I'm going to build a church based on that statement and this kind of a belief. These guys go, all right, Jesus is crazy again. <laughs> He's saying something weird again. Let's just kind of nod and smile and we'll figure it out later, right? And then he says this thing that we'll talk about in a few minutes. He says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome my church. Now, I, this is where I want to dig into some history, and this is where you're going to see my personal convictions about church here in a minute, okay? So, so hang with me because it's a little bit complicated. I tried really, really hard. I spent a lot of time on these PowerPoint slides trying to make this as clear as possible and how I feel about this. But, you know, so you see the yellow word up there for church. That is a word that has been in question since it was written. Now remember, Jesus spoke in a language called Aramaic. And then when he spoke, people around him wrote what he spoke in a language called Greek. And it's Koine Greek. Koine just basically means dead. doesn't live anymore. It just lives in writing. Nobody speaks it anymore. Koine Greek was written by um, Matthew when he wrote what Jesus said. When he wrote the word that Jesus said, he used a Greek word, ekklesia. And the word ecclesia does not mean church. I'll say it again. He, Jesus used a word that Matthew translated that doesn't mean church. The word means a gathering of people. A simple, generic 
gathering of people. It doesn't mean a Sunday service with pews and a preacher. It doesn't mean an ornate building with gold crosses. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is, when Jesus said, on this statement of faith that he is the Son of God, I am going to build a gathering of Jesus people. Does that give me cold chills? You know why? The reason that gives me cold chills, the reason that excites me, is honestly I just have no energy for another building. I, I have Nothing gets me energized about a gold cross other than what it means. But the expensive building, the Sunday service with the lights and the show, I'm tired. I don't want it. No, I don't think people want it. What they want is a gathering of Jesus' people. And Jesus said, guys, I want to make a prediction. Jesus predicted this. There will be at one point in history people all over the world who will be in little Jesus gatherings in my name saying, I don't care what people call God. I know God and I know his son. Man, these disciples had no clue what Jesus was talking about. No idea what Jesus was talking about. Jesus' prediction was not about a place. They didn't know what he was talking about, but what they did know is that he, didn't talk, he wasn't talking about a building. He wasn't talking about a series of church buildings. He wasn't talking about a place in the cornfield. He was never talking about that. What Jesus predicted and what came true is that people would be gathering and doing life together. They would be living the way he wanted them to live together, pursuing the same things. Jesus' prediction was not about a place. It was about little groups of people. And when he predicted that, God blessed it. And the Jesus gatherings began. It's foreboding, isn't it? The Jesus gatherings began. Now, there's interesting. This guy named William Tyndall, um, handsome dude, isn't he? Um, Maybe you've heard of him. This guy got a really bad rap. He was a 16th century um, uh, just genius. He was a 16th century theologian. Um, and it, more than just theology, he was into finding out what Jesus actually said. Because up until then, all that, all that, all that he had and all that, that church people had to talk about Jesus and God was a version of what Jesus said that was based on what the empire... <coughs> Excuse me, you didn't need to hear that. <coughs> that based on what the leaders of the day wanted them to hear. So what they would do is that they would translate the Bible into whatever made sense for them. You know preachers like this. You know churches like this. You know people like this. Well, it's really dangerous when you have a leader who decides, I'm going to write the Bible the way I want to write the Bible. And you can go back through history, and there's a lot here. But a, a whole kingdom decided they were going to write the Bible with their agenda in mind. And when they did, they translated, they translated the word ecclesia with a German word that I can't say. kind of sounded like the cough I just did, actually. And the word in English was translated church. kind of sounds like German, doesn't it? Church. And William Tyndall one day started translating he started learning koine greek and he started translating greek the the original text that matthew wrote into english which was illegal you weren't allowed to do that because you might find out the truth and william tyndall started doing it because he wanted so badly to know what jesus really said not what 
humans wanted Jesus to say. And when he translated this, he said, Hey guys, I found out this doesn't mean church. When Jesus said he wanted us to start this thing, to start a a movement, to create little groups of people, he didn't mean church. You know what happened after he said that? People did not say, hey William, good work, let's change it. You know what they did? They burnt him on a stake. They called him crazy and burnt him. And with it, a lot of his followers went away. And people went a little bit back towards the church. And except for small groups of people who started to say, what if we could restore, what if we could restore church the way Jesus wanted church to be? Now, we know that there are churches all over the world right now meeting. And that what we're doing right now, we, this is not that this, this isn't something God is honored by. We, this is, God is honored by what we're doing right now. But this isn't the end. What Jesus actually meant when he said, I'm going to make little Jesus gatherings, is people who are living together, people who are doing life together. Most of us in this place, I'm just going to be real honest with you, most of us in this place, I see one hour a week. It is in an orange pew on Sunday where you're on your best behavior and you put on a fake smile and you kind of don't tell me anything that's really going on and I don't tell you anything that's really going on and just let me tell you right now, that's not what Jesus predicted. What Jesus predicted and what he believed would change our lives and what he knew you needed was life together with people who are going the same direction you are, pursuing life the way he taught us. That's why we're starting life groups in a week and a half in this place. Because we believe that those life groups are the actual heart of Jesus' words 2,000 years ago. Well, I'm fired up a little bit. Jesus' prediction was not about a place. It was always about little groups of people. So after he would make that prediction, as you know, Jesus would die on a cross. And as, as he would make those predictions, he, he talked a lot about his church and a lot about, we, we see the word church, but it's gatherings. It's these little life groups. It's these little groups of people who are living the way he wants to live. As he talked about that, the disciples would start to get it, and then they would start to not get it. And then Jesus died. He died out with his arms out on a cross, and the disciples ran away. And if you could have just grabbed Peter after Jesus died, like a day after Jesus died, if you could have grabbed Peter and you'd say, hey, Peter, do you believe that, that there's going to be these little groups of people for 2,000 years and the, the whole world is going to be full of Jesus followers? Peter would have gone, no, dude, he, he died. He's dead. I know for a fact that's what Peter would have done because he denied Jesus three times while Jesus was on the cross. He didn't believe it anymore because Jesus died. But then something happened that changed history. Three days after Jesus died on the cross, he walked again. He lived again. He breathed again. And when people saw it, it changed who they were. And when people saw it, they didn't just think, wow, this guy must be God. They thought, wow, this guy must be God. And everything he has said must be true. Because if you can say something, if you can predict your own death, and then pull it off, predict your own death, predict your own resurrection, and then pull it off, pretty much I'll believe anything you say. And so that's what happened. 
So three days later, when Jesus rose, you would have said to Peter, hey, Peter, what's this whole thing about church? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know what the rock is. I'm not real sure about all this stuff, but I can tell you this. If Jesus said it, it's going to happen. So Jesus rose from the grave, and hundreds, we don't know how many people saw him. And then he stood on a hill just before he ascended into heaven. He stood on a hill with, I don't know, we think maybe 100, 120 people that were on this hill with him. He stood on this hill, and here's what he said. We have this written down, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them, all these disciples, all these people, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you need to know that that is one of the most arrogant things a human being could say. Right? I mean, one of two things has to be true about that statement. Either it's true, or Jesus is crazy. <laughs> because if somebody stood up right now in front of you and said, I have all the authority of the creator of the universe, one of those two things has to be true. <laughs> you have to be crazy, maniacal, completely egotistical, or you have to be God. And what's interesting is nobody on that hill who had seen him die and resurrect again, everybody on the hill went, okay, yeah, <laughs> I saw you die, I saw you live again, okay, yeah, all authority, given to you. Now, if all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to somebody, what would the next sentence be? What would it be about? What is he going to use? How is he going to leverage that? Check this out. He says, therefore, because I have all the authority and all the power, I want you to do something with my power. Therefore, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go and make churchgoers. You know, I'll say that again because you might need to hear that. Jesus didn't say, go and make people who go to church on Sunday. He said, go and make disciples. People who live the way I taught. Of all nations. Probably somebody in the back goes, uh, G- Jesus, I see that hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus, what's a nation? Because <laughs> I, I mean, you think about where these people lived. The known world was tiny what is a nation jesus what's a nation you'll figure that out you'll you'll see well how are we going to get to those places i mean it took us like two months to get to caesarea philippi from jerusalem you want us to go to all these how is that you know what jesus says read on jesus says i want you to baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teach them to obey all of the things i've commanded you and then he says this and surely i am with you to the very end of the age. And all the people on the hill went, oh, good, well, that'll help. And then you know what Jesus did? He left. (laughs) He disappeared. He ascended to heaven. So he said, surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. And then he went away. And you know what the disciples said? He's with us. So we don't know how to do this. We don't know exactly what we need to do, but because he's with us, if we do it his way, if we don't do it our way, if we don't try to manipulate and change it, if we don't try to make it pretty because we like to impress people when they come to our church, if we don't try to make it something that God never intended it to be, he will be with us to the very end of the age, and we will do things that we would have never been able to believe we could do. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, I told you this was a history lesson. Please stay awake, because it just gets better. So they leave the mountain. They leave that mountain where Jesus is. He said, surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. He left them, and they went, huh. And then they decided, well, let's just go do it. Let's go 
into all the people that we know and start baptizing them. Start sharing with them what Jesus, start telling them that we saw a guy who told us these amazing things. Then he died and he rose again, so we realized they had to be true. And we were there, we saw it. And let's just see what happened. So they went to Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem. And they began these gatherings of Jesus people. Nobody thought of them as a church. Nobody thought of them as a place to drive your car on Sunday, sit for an hour and a half, get a break from your kids a little bit, and then pick them up and go home. Nobody thought of them that way. What they thought of as the, cat, as the catalyst, the, the thing that brought people together who were going to live the way Jesus wanted them to live on a daily basis. They were going to help each other. They were going to live together. And this began to change the way the world saw people who followed Jesus. They began to look at Christians, and if you look throughout history, you'll see that as Christians developed, um, there, there's this incredible history. It's not in the Bible. This is just history. Um, this incredible historical document that shows um, plagues in Rome um, and these European plagues where, where people would start to die and the children especially would start to die and their parents would push them out into the streets because if they stayed too close to them, they would get whatever they got. And there was one group of people who would take those children in. And all the world, one group of people who were pursuing the children who were dying, guess who they were called? Followers of the way. These were the Jesus people. These were the Jesus gatherings of people. And they began to change the way people saw things. And Jesus' prediction began to come to fruition. The church did great in Jerusalem for about two years. These little small places, these little Jesus gatherings did really well. Um, in fact, you know, we think that um, on Pentecost there were thousands of people that came to Jesus. They were baptized and they began their life in Jesus, in these little gatherings of people. And it did really well. And then all of a sudden, after about two years, it stalled. It just came to a stop. In my opinion, it happened because the disciples didn't know what to do next. I think this happens in a lot of our churches, a lot of our ecclesias and our little Jesus meetings. We get to these things, we get to a point where we're running 150 people, that's about where we are now, and the preacher and the elders just go, well, we're out of ideas. We don't know what else to do. And instead of going, you know what, we're going to count on God, we just go, you know what, let's just keep this thing like it's going because it's manageable, you know? And that's what happened. And so I think, now this isn't in the Bible, so be clear about that, but I think probably there's a conversation in heaven that looked like this. God might have looked at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, the church is stalling. <laughs> but have you noticed there's a guy over in Tarsus? His name is Saul. Jesus like, oh, yeah, you mean the guy that's trying to kill all the churches? He's try he wants to undo everything that my people are doing. And God's like, yeah, he's awesome, isn't he? Guy's amazing. People follow him, and he's tenacious, and he just wants what's right, but he's confused. So in, in Acts chapter 9, you can get a whole account of the conversion of Paul, Saul. Saul was um, this guy who was after churches. He just wanted to kill Christians. He wanted to, get, he wanted to wipe this whole church thing, this whole small Jesus-following thing off of the map, and he thought that's what God wanted. And he got knocked off his horse. He got blinded, and he converted. He saw that, that God wanted him to start making these churches better. So what Paul did, Saul became Paul. Um, God changed his name at this conversion from Saul to Paul. He went in, and you've probably heard the name Paul. He went in, he found the disciples, and I, this is one of those conversations that probably went like this. He put a map up of the known world, and he said to the disciples, okay, you guys take Jerusalem and the stuff you know, and I'm going to take the rest. <laughs> 
and Paul got on a boat. Now, when, you say, when I say boat, don't think like 26-foot ranger, and don't think like really nice ocean boat. He got on a rickety old wooden thing, and for 30 years, Paul went from place to place to place, from pla- languages he didn't understand, people he didn't meet, never met. He, he got um, stoned. He got uh, arrested in all of these little cities. And every time he would go into these little cities, a new group of people, would, he would leave. Just this little group of Jesus followers. Ecclesia. And then he would get in his boat, such as it was, and go on to the next place. And he did that for 30 years until all of the known world, most of the known world, had some semblance of Jesus meetings. Had these little churches, these little ecclesias built up. And Paul began to write, began to write these little churches because he'd fall in love with these people and he would write the letters. And that's how we have the letters to the Romans, the letters to the Corinthians, the letters to the Thessalonians. All of those, those books in the Bible, Corinthians, that, that uh, Donald Trump just called um, Tooth Corinthians or something crazy. Um, all of those Corinthians, uh, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, all of those are places that Paul went when he sh- wanted to start these new places and he wrote them a letter. And then... Paul is in his 60s. Now stay with me here. I'm almost done. Paul is in his 60s. And he finally gets arrested by Rome. Many people have said, if you get arrested by Rome, that'll be it for you. These little cities we can get you out of, and, and it'll be fine. But if you get arrested by Rome and Nero, that'll be it. He got arrested once, and that's a cool story. He got arrested once in Rome, and then he, they let him go. And it was really a cool God thing. It was like God said, no, not yet. And then, then he, he got arrested a second time and was in prison in Rome. And I, I want you to... I want you to use your imagination a little bit with me this morning, would you? Would you just imagine Paul in his 60s, probably early, 63 to 65, something like that, years old, which is a long time to live at that point, especially all the shipwrecks he'd been in and all the times he'd been arrested and rocks thrown at him. And He's sitting in prison, and he knows this is it. And he's wondering, <laughs> is it going it to work? Like all these little places that I've started are they going to just die out is this the end of ecclesia is this the end of jesus gatherings and he begins to get a little sullen and a little frustrated next slide tanya this is a um, the roman forum you can go there and visit it today if you've got about two grand for a airline ticket doesn't look like much today, but at the time it was an amazing, beautiful splendor. Paul would have walked right across. If you see these six columns here, he would have walked under one of those columns. As they walked him out, the jailer would have walked him out for his final crucifixion or his final death. He would have walked right through one of those columns. It's crazy to stand there. And I would just, if you could just use your imagination. Just use your imagination this morning you could just stand there with Paul as he's getting ready to walk out and just say hey Paul it worked Jesus' prediction is true hey Paul one day Rome's going to fall one day in this city right here there's going to be crosses all over commemorating Jesus Christ Not crosses with prisoners hanging on them, but one cross representing one 
crucifixion, and that is Jesus, your Savior. Paul, it was all worth it. Paul, one day there will be churches with your pictures painted in. And Peter, you remember when Jesus said, hey Paul, remember when Jesus said that he was going to build his church around Peter's statement and around Peter? There is a building called Peter's Basilica. It might be the prettiest place in the world. And all of this area is celebrating Peter and Jesus. And then you could whisper this. This would be my favorite thing to whisper to Paul. Hey Paul, one day people will name their children Paul and Peter. And they will name their dogs Nero and Caesar. (laughs) Yeah, baby! I want to say two things right now, and then I got to, I'm singing too, so I I don't know how this is going to work. You're just going to have to bear with us here. I want to say two things. One, and man, if you're into politics right now, if you're into this whole thing, I want to speak directly to you. Look up here right now. God is in charge. Can you get it? It doesn't matter. Now, now do, I, do I say politics doesn't matter? No, no, no. This all stuff, all this is really important. Who we vote for is important. How we talk about politics is important. But in the end, Nero and Caesar are dogs' names. God is in charge. As, that my, as my friend Andy Stanley would say, if you haven't seen this, you need to look it up on YouTube. Just type in Andy Stanley politics, you'll find it. Here's what he would say to you this morning. It's what he said to me this week, and it convicted me like crazy. If you were under the impression as a Christian that who is sitting in the White House is going to bring things to good or bad, stop it. You're scaring the children. You're giving the next generation of people the idea that God can't be trusted. That somehow our faith is secondary to who sits in the White House. That somehow God is, is in charge, but only if Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whoever it is says yes first. The truth is, when Jesus predicts something, when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Check out this next slide. Matthew chapter 16. He says, and I tell you, that you are Peter. You're a rock. And on this rock I will build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of hell. Some people pronounce Hades hell. Some people translate it as death. The gates of death, the gates of hell, the very worst things you can possibly imagine throughout history will not destroy my ecclesia, my little gatherings of people. So today, New Life Christian Church, you're not here in a cornfield because Andy and Dean and some of our leaders decided to build a church in the middle of this. God used them. God created this. And 2,000 years ago, he predicted that this place would sit here and that little gatherings of people would not just show up at church on Sunday, would not just pretend that what they believe about God matters, but that they would show up here, that they would do life together differently. That's what you're a part of. i got to get a drink of water. Man, you can come up while I'm crying here. Today, you've been invited Today you thought you just came to church, didn't you? 
today you've been invited to be a part of a long history, a prediction that Jesus made 2,000 years ago, a part of, a, of not a church, not a German word for a building that sits and that people pretend to come to and sing songs. You've been invited to do more. You've been invited to be a part of a community of Jesus people who want what's best for each other and want to get better every day. Some of you have been doing the church thing so long that you have settled into thinking this is what it's about. I want to push you, not challenge you, push you. Some of you, it's too late to challenge. I'm going to push you to life groups. It's going to be uncomfortable for some of you. You've never sat in a circle and talked about your faith before. Guess what? That's what Jesus predicted. That that would change your life. Not that this would change your life, but that that would change your life. Some of you have never been open about how you grew up with your family and faith. That's what God wants for you. So Wednesday night, February 10th, let me be clear. We're going to screw this up. We're going to mess up. We're going to put the wrong people in the wrong groups. We're going to show up and the DVD won't work or something. This is, and throughout history, the church has been doing this. That God said, the gates of hell will not stop what I'm doing. And so no matter what, in this place, starting February 10th, we are going to do life groups. We're going to have child care back here, movie night for the kids. Every Wednesday night. We're going to have opportunities for you to engage in ecclesia, the way God intended. So here's your question today, and then I'm going to, I guess I'm going to sing. I'm going to ask you right now, what is your next step? This is your question today. Maybe your next step is to keep coming to the church building, which, remember, is not church, but to keep coming to the church building and keep kicking your tires, and that's great. If that's your next step, that's your next step. Maybe you've been doing that so long that you kind of thought this was it. And maybe your next step is to sign up on that piece of paper out there or to go online and register for life groups. Don't know what it means? Join the club. A little confused about the logistics? Join the club. We don't know. We just know what God wants from us is to take another step towards him. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe your next step is to be baptized today. For thousands of years, people have been baptized like Jesus said on that mountain. Go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son. That is a moment in your life you will never forget that takes you to the next step. Maybe you need that. Maybe this week, maybe today, you just need to say to God, I'm done with Sunday faith. 